Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live-ish online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, letter carriers are picking up non-perishable food items. Today, today, folks, we have a discussion about some bills in the legislature with a caller from last week. We've got an update on the writer's strike. Adam has a message about the culture of education in the state and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, uh, unfortunately, we are recording uh, we This is a pre-taped episode because I'm getting married today. I'm getting married today. Congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. So uh, we are not live. This is a pre-tape. You're not gonna be, we're not going to be able to, to respond to your comments live, but feel free to send us a voicemail. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also send us a text message and we might respond on the next program. Uh, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. But most importantly, on our website, tvlr.fm, that is updated almost daily with written content, uh, sometimes original written content or write-ups of uh, some clips, uh, some interviews from the last week's show. Really good stuff there. We're also, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Always good stuff there. Um, Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners, so if you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, if you want to make a one-time donation, or you want to buy our merch, you can head to our website for that as well. To donate, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate, and to buy our merch, you can go to tvlr.fm slash store. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Uh, If you're a member of a union, definitely please think about getting your local to sponsor the show. We could not, absolutely could not do our program and everything that goes into it on listener support alone, at least not at this stage. Uh, We are on commercial radio stations. That costs money. Uh, We do pay our staff now. We pay our staff uh, for uh, the work that they do. Everybody uh, that is paid is currently only paid part-time. 
Uh, but it would be great to be able to have uh, multiple full-time staff, and that can't happen until we get more sponsors. So uh, if you appreciate the show, if you think that uh, what we're doing has some value, uh, and if you'd like to see us grow and you're a member of a union, then definitely think about getting your union to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us for more details on that. We are always available for questions uh, from yourself uh, on a private phone call or in front of your general membership or at a conference of your uh, international or regional union. Uh, We have multiple speaking gigs lined up this summer at some uh, uh, at large conferences or Uh, training competitions, really excited about the opportunity to uh, meet and mingle with some other Southern Unionists and talk to them about the work that we're doing here on the Valley Labor Report, so we're always available uh, for opportunities like that. Absolutely. And if you have uh, an advocacy group, a a nonprofit, uh, you know, any kind of organization that's out there that you would consider an allied organization to labor, please consider it as well. You know, it's not just labor unions, but, you know, if you have a union print shop, if you have a media outlet, uh, or like I said, advocacy groups, nonprofits, uh, definitely let us know. We'd be interested in talking with you about sponsorship and how we can work together. Uh, And certainly, yeah, invite us to your meetings. Uh, We're happy to do that. Looking forward to the ones we have scheduled uh, and looking forward to more of those. And I do want to add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you are on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check it out. And as most of you know, we are not necessarily media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. So we want to thank everyone for tuning in this morning. Whether you're a loyal fan or a first-time listener, we do appreciate you spending some time with us. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, the first thing that we've got on the do list this morning is, uh, we had a call last week in overtime. Uh, just a reminder folks for if you only listen to us on the radio, you're only getting about half of the show, uh, less than half now, because we also have a weekly, a new weekly episode that is totally online only called shop talk, uh, dedicated to, uh, labor history, education, and training, um, but on Saturdays, only half of the show is on the radio. We have a full second half of the show uh, that we call Overtime that is online only, where we uh, continue the show. We broaden the scope of the conversation to uh, some more national issues. We maybe get a little bit more political than we do in the main show. Uh, and we take callers in both halves of the show. And so we had a caller last week during Overtime uh, who had some comments about the the uh some of the bills that are going through the alabama legislature at the moment and uh we thought that it was really uh we thought that it was a good conversation we had some good back and forth and it uh felt really relevant for our main show's audience and so we wanted to play that for you here uh and so now we are going to play the uh uh play the clip from our phone call with joe from decatur 
Uh, so we've got a caller on the line, and it's uh, it's Joe, Joe from Decatur. Uh, how you doing, Joe? Haven't haven't heard from you on the show in a while. Well, I didn't want to take up all your time, Jacob. Y'all y'all <laughs> always got something pretty interesting going on. I don't want buddy in, but uh, last week I listened to the show, and of course it was a lot about uh, Memorials Worker or Workers Memorial Day, mm-hmm. and uh, I just jotted me down a few notes, and uh, y'all happened to mention that uh, lack of inspections. Uh, uh, by OSHA mm-hmm. uh, is real slack, and, and of course there's a reason for that, underfunded, not enough agents, blah. But uh, I just wanted I just wanted to point out a couple of things that uh, that workers get involved in. Uh, that's probably detrimental to to. To their own welfare, and mm. and that's things like OSHA-sponsored voluntary participation programs, and probably everybody's heard of VPP, uh, where where employees form committees, blah, and and look at jobs and so forth, so on, and then they get OSHA to come in on a on a voluntary thing to uh, interview employees, so forth, so on. Uh, and see if they qualify for one of their star sites for VPP. Well, basically, what that does in the long run, yeah, you get a lot of you get a lot of members and, and employees at the non-union shops to participate in those things. But what it actually does is is when people complain to OSHA enough mm. about their work site. That could that could be reason for OSHA to come in on an unannounced inspection. Of course, the companies they can't stand that. But what right. VPP does is, if you qualify, is guarantee you no surprise inspection since mm. you're a VPP site. Uh, if you if you look at if you look at the the things that y'all mentioned last week, the TIR total incident rate, uh, which is which is where they have to keep up with injuries and so forth. The the TIR will also trigger if it gets high enough an inspection. Uh, therefore, therefore companies have uh, found ways to water down what has to be reported. Uh, Somebody gets cut, and they they go to the they go to the medical department or the nurse or whatever, and you know their 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 first thing is, well, how can we keep this off the books for the TIR? I just I just wanted to mention that. I just wanted to mention that, and then I also wanted to mention that these companies who offer gain sharing programs, profit sharing programs, uh. They also want to tie those to to injuries on the job. Uh, mm. You can be coasting along there for three months and fixing to get your so-called gain sharing check, uh, and all at once, all at once, uh, it might look pretty, might look like you're going to get a pretty fair one. And the company decides, okay, this accident right here is uh, one that we're gonna 
make sure we get recorded. Mm. And then they start deducting. They start deducting from your gain sharing, which that's a whole other story. But what it does do is encourages workers not to report accidents for that mm. very reason. Right. Uh, now I'm on, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat up on that, but uh, wanted to mention a couple of things in the Alabama legislators, uh, and and y'all talked about it last week, and and uh, the first one was uh, the grocery tax, mm-hmm. and I was hoping to actually get on the radio because <clears throat> the the whole the whole thing about the grocery tax. I believe, and I and I could be wrong, but I believe most Alabamians think, uh, okay, they're going to take the tax off of groceries. Therefore, therefore, in most cities now, the total tax rate is about ten percent, four percent of it going to the state. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a four percent reduction in the tax rate on groceries, and what they've done in the legislature has has passed it in the house and I don't think it's gone to the full Senate yet, but, but they make they make Alabamians think that hey this is a real big deal. But mm-hmm. if you really look at it, if you really look at it the way it's working right now under under their legislation is they're gonna reduce it by a half a percent the first year and then incrementally step it back, I guess, till they reach that four percent if they don't change their mind. But if you really take the half percent uh, off of four percent, an individual goes to the grocery store and spends two hundred dollars on groceries. If all of them items are taxable, it, what it really winds up being on a two hundred dollar grocery bill is one dollar. Right now, that's just using pretty pretty simple math, and a dollar a dollar. Ain't much of a tax break now. Come on, don't you know? Right. Uh, it's really it's really pathetic to to lead the to lead the the Alabama voters to think, hey, we're fixing to get uh, uh, cut a cut a ten percent tax off our groceries because that's really not what it is. Right. And then, uh, so I I think it's pretty deceiving the way they the way they put that out, and and most people don't really even look, you know. They don't really even realize that it only equals about a dollar on two hundred dollars. Yeah, and and not only that, but this this bill, I think it actually doesn't even the end of this bill is not even the full four percent. It's only up to two percent, right, Adam? That's the max, and Uh, and then it only you know you mentioned Joe that it goes half a percent each year, but it only goes half a percent each year. If the education trust fund revenue increases by three per, by no less than three percent, so if the education trust fund revenue does not increase by at least three percent next year, uh, then you, they the half a percent increase does not even happen. Um, it's stalled until the next year. So yeah, it's very very small beans convoluted because it's just too hard for them to do common sense right things yeah. and so we got to make it yeah. difficult and jump through hoops to to get somewhere close to something positive and then it's it never amounts to you know what's mm-hmm. promised 
Yeah. But but Joe, I uh, you know we are gonna be um, we're gonna be uh, uh, pre-taping for for May the thirteenth because you know because of my wedding and so um, so what I'll do is I'll clip I'll clip this bit where you're talking about uh, the grocery tax and we'll put it on put it on for the the radio portion next week. Well, well, I'd just like for folks to really to really know. Uh, what it really amounts to, you know, it, it ain't it ain't like you spend a hundred and you save ten dollars in taxes because it don't do that at all. I mean, it's far from that. Uh, the other couple of things, uh, one one other thing I want to mention, and then I'll get off the phone, is the overtime tax. Mm. Now y'all gonna have to y'all gonna have to correct me on this, but uh, I really really. <laughs> find it difficult to agree with with the overtime tax on your wages uh not be included in taxes and the reason i say that the reason i say that if you want to help the vast majority of alabama workers and why ain't they why ain't they not taxing the first 40 hours mm, right. uh, where, where you know you're going to actually probably, probably be working 40 hours if you got a full-time job. If, you, right. if you're working less than full-time, you get absolutely no effect from it uh, mm-hmm. whatsoever. But my real problem with it is, my real problem with it is, is and I've witnessed this myself, and I've lived it myself. Uh, people who work a lot of overtime, whether that be voluntary or mandatory, uh, the more overtime, and, and and like I say, I've witnessed this with my own eyes. The more overtime people work the less employees they got to have in the long run. Mm, uh, right. I, I mean, really, really and truly, mm. uh, to, to me, that's a problem. To me, that's, right. to me, that's kind of going backwards when we, even though the unemployment rate is so-called 3.5% now, uh, if, if times get a little rougher, if times get a little rougher and these companies want to, remain competitive so forth uh then then if they start laying off some workers but at the same time forcing the rest to work overtime i.e west rock down down south that was on strike uh uh to me we're going backwards on that jacob i mean uh yeah we really should not be i mean we shouldn't be incentivizing people um, we shouldn't be incentivizing workers to work more than 40 hours a week, and we certainly shouldn't be incentivizing employers to work their workers more than 40 hours a week. I mean, really, you know, I, 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 I totally agree that the, that the focus should be on how do we make sure that people are able to get what they need to have a good life within 40 hours uh, so that they can actually have eight hours for what they will, right? <laughs> and eight right. hours for rest. Exactly. And that's, uh, exactly. you know, it's, it's amazing that that's becoming kind of a radical concept again, that people ought to have eight hours for what they will uh, in the day. And, and we're going to be talking to um, 
uh, you know, to these to this cast uh, of Tollpuddle here in, in just a second about some of these fights from 1800s England where they were fighting for uh, the right to a 16-hour day and the right to a 12-hour day and the right to a 10-hour day, right? Um, but uh, yes. so so yeah. Well, I I really appreciate it, Joe. Always always good to hear from you, and, and always always. Well, really well let me let me let me just mention one more thing, and I'll make it really sure. quick. Both for the both for these tax bills that I'm talking about, I think I think that was a really really bipartisan uh, uh, mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. on both of them. The overtime uh, tax, have, the overtime one was actually introduced by a Democrat. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I absolutely do not understand that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a yellow dog Democrat. Period, and uh, always will be. But, but I certainly don't think it was very well thought out. But I also think that it's just another. It's just another uh, thing that does get some uh, statewide interest from from your average guy who don't pay much attention to the legislator anyway. But uh, it's a way for them to get some attention, uh, like they're really doing something big for us. Uh, they 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 promoting this kind of stuff while they're while they're stabbing us in the back on the voting rights. Uh, Jacob, I'll let y'all go. Hey, Adam, Adam, just keeping with progressive corrective discipline. You was late Thursday, man. So I know. Uh, <laughs> you can, I know. You can just you can just consider warning. this an oral reprimand. <laughs> yeah, you can just consider this an oral reprimand. But All I do right. appreciate, I appreciate the heads up, and, Joe, and I'll, I'll talk to my rep in the meantime. <laughs> you know I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. But I oh, do I know, brother. It. I appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to y'all later, man. Have All a good right, one. Brother. Have a good one. Have All right. Bye bye. Uh, yeah, well, that was Joe. Joe from Decatur uh, is a great guy, um, really a, a leader in the labor movement here in North Alabama, former steel worker, uh, retired out of the Cortland, Alabama International Paper Mill. Um, great to uh, really enjoy, uh, and I really feel honored to have him as a as somebody that I can that I can call and, and call a friend and, and call for advice, and and um, you know he's a definitely a a good asset to folks. And, and if, if there's anybody and any young person out there that is, you know, that has any questions, maybe from somebody who's been around for, been around the block, I'm sure that Joe would be willing to talk to you. So, um, so if you want to be put in touch, reach out to me. Uh, make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 
617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law, the name with proven results. Labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to the Valley Labor my name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-8857. As you already know, we are not live today. 
but you can still leave us a voicemail, send us a text message, and we can respond to it on the next episode of the Valley Labor Report. We appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about HB 209. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you've heard me go off about this bill. I'm very concerned about this bill. I think it's a bad bill. House Bill 209 would criminalize assistance with the absentee voting process. Uh, Anything from giving someone a ride to go pick up an application, much less a ballot, would be criminalized and you could face a class D felony charge. And, you know, I just think that's so egregious. In this state and really everywhere across this country, we should be making it easier to vote. We should be reducing the barriers to voting, not making it harder and certainly not criminalizing people who are helping folks participate in the election and exercise their constitutional right to vote. You know, I've mentioned on the show before that I was elected political coordinator of my local. Most locals have some similar role. Uh, Your state fed, your national, international union has, you know, political coordinators, legislative directors, legislative affairs committees. Uh, Y'all have voter outreach. Voter outreach is something that our unions do. Uh, And that includes absentee voting. Uh, You know, a great example would be our trade workers. Let's say you're an iron worker and you're out on a project. You may not be available from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on that particular Tuesday, right? You may be a few hundred miles away from home and therefore need to vote absentee. So this is very directly relevant to the voter outreach that our unions do. Um, But more broadly, it's relevant to working class people in the state of Alabama. You know, helping our brothers and sisters participate in the election should not risk a felony. And it's so extreme that even groups like the League of Women Voters of Alabama have come out strong in opposition because the, the, the good volunteer work that they do could be criminalized under this legislation. Uh, unfortunately, it's already been passed by the House. It was actually co-sponsored by 42 House Republicans, and it has passed the House, so now it's in the state Senate. So it's you know an urgent, urgent call to contact your state senators and let them know how you feel about this piece of legislation. And we have some folks today. I actually, earlier this week, put out a statement uh, as a union activist with the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition and was grateful to work with them. They have been fighting hard against this legislation. Uh, There are a lot of groups out there who are fighting against this, a lot of activists, you know, from across the spectrum of political beliefs, Uh, you know, priorities and their activism. Just a lot of different folks are in this coalition fighting against it because it's a bad piece of legislation. Uh, So I was happy to work with the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition, uh, and they were uh, happy to send us some folks to actually talk about this legislation and how it would impact them. Uh, So really looking forward to this conversation. We actually have some guests here this morning uh, who can talk about this bill. So Let's just start there. Uh, if, if y'all don't mind, uh, you know, Maddie, introduce yourself, and then we'll go from there. Y'all both introduce yourself, and, uh, and then I'll give you each a chance to talk about this bill and how it impacts you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is Maddie Minkoff. I just graduated from the University of Alabama this weekend, actually. Um, and yeah, Congratulations. So, <laughs> that's me. Wow. Thank you so much. 
Um, I work with um, Greater Birmingham Ministries and Return My Vote, a lot of like felony disenfranchisement and voter restoration stuff that I do. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Mr. Clark before. I'll let you introduce yourself. Awesome. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, congratulations on graduation and roll tide. Roll tide. <laughs> I'm Jay Gregory Clark with Faith in Action Alabama. We are a multi-faith organization whose mission is to dismantle systemic racism in order to create pathways of opportunity for every Alabamian. Uh, we we definitely uh, enjoy our relationship with Greater Birmingham Ministries, with the League of Women Voters, and others of the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition, uh, and we agree that House Bill 209 is a horrible, horrible bill. So let's pick up there. Yeah, why why is it so horrible? And and you know, talk to us about that. What's your perspective on this bill? Well, uh, primarily because it's horrible because it criminalizes health. Uh, mm. Helping people should never be a crime, and and at its core, that's what this is about. It's about making it a crime to help someone participate in the democratic process, and that affects such a large swath of of our society. Um, not only trade workers, as you mentioned, but also our disabled veterans, mm. uh, our, our those who are incarcerated but not convicted and do have the right to vote. Uh, those who uh, face uh, physical uh, disabilities like blindness, uh, who find it to be a challenge to make it to the polls, much less uh, get a ballot that's in Braille. I mean, there, there's a whole group of people that that uh, need help participating in our democratic process. And this bill is a, is a direct assault against every one of them. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's so important. There are so many different types of people in our society. And we have to remember that. Uh, not everyone is like us. Uh, your particular situation is not everybody's situation. So if you're listening, you think, well, I've never voted absentee. There are lots of folks out there in our community where that is, you know, the only option or uh, in a particular election, it is the best option for them. It, it's a right to participate in the election. Uh, and it's, I'm so glad, you know, Mr. Clark, that you brought up these different groups of people who are impacted. There are disparate impacts here. And it's, you know, particularly the most marginalized in our society that this bill is gonna impact. And, uh, you know, Maddie, you're, you have direct volunteer work that's gonna be impacted by this legislation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Both of you have brought up like great points about the very specific groups of people that are impacted and college students are a huge population of people that are so directly impacted by this. Um, at UA, we don't get election day off. If professors want to hold class, they have to hold class. We have to show up. So absentee voting is super, super important for college students. We have you know, over half of our population is out of state. The other half, they might be from Mobile or Montgomery, somewhere where you can't get to class and get to your home poll in the same day, um, realistically. And so I work with UA Vote Everywhere, which is a Andrew Goodman Foundation chapter of a voting organization group on campus. And so much of our work is connecting people with resources with voter um, absentee voting application ballots. We uh, use a service called TurboVote that helps students get whatever ballot information, application information they need, make have them have a plan to vote. All of that work would potentially be criminalized with this bill. Um, just something as simple as handing out a ballot that you can download and print for free 
would be criminalized with this bill, which is just ludicrous to even say out loud. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's one thing that also stands out to me is that Alabama is a state that features one of the highest incarceration rates in the nation. Uh, our prisons are unconstitutional. We have a mass over-incarceration crisis in this state. And of all things, we want to criminalize more activity. Uh, and, and like y'all said, it's help. You're literally helping people exercise their rights. And that's going to be criminalized. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's just it is ludicrous and it's wild to even consider that being serious legislation. I'm interested in um, I, I don't know if any of y'all have done any uh, lobbying with the legislature, um, but if you have, I'm interested in, in what the responses have been from supporters of this bill, um, because, you know, presumably they are being. You know, they're being approached by advocates of voting rights and saying, you know, these people have, have these certain needs and, and these are the things that we are doing to meet them. And, and it is in no way fraudulent. <laughs> There's, you know, and, that, and that's verifiable. And, and so do either of y'all have any idea what the supporters of this bill, how they're responding to this kind of stuff? I did witness the uh, the debate on the House floor, and Representative Jamie Keel was the spokesperson for the bill, uh, and his argument uh, as to how <laughs> how people could defend themselves, people who were disabled or people who were uh, uh, more marginalized, his argument was that they could rely on the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Uh, if they were, if they found themselves in legal trouble, if they found themselves in court, then they could rely on the Voting Rights Act to sort of bail them out. And oh, I how found reassuring! That to be... Right, right. Like, <laughs> I have to be prosecuted before you know, before I get you know, before I get any help here in this situation. Oh but that was the that was given. Yeah. Wow. And so his argument is that, uh, yes, it's potential that even this law, um. Uh, uh, contradicts federal law and that any sane court is going to overturn that because the state can't contradict federal law. And, uh, you know, that's just what you're going to have to hope for. That was the basic premise of his argument on the House floor. He was challenged uh, uh, by several uh, minority uh, representatives. Um, he was he was faced with uh, he, he had to face some sound logic particularly from uh, Representative Chris England out of mm -hmm. Tuscaloosa, who was, who was probably your representative for a while, Maddie, uh, who, who stated that this is just uh, criminalizing handing over a sheet of paper. I take a sheet of paper and I hand it over to you and one form is legal and another mm -hmm. form is illegal. Mm -hmm. Like I can give you a, a voter registration card, but I can't give you an absentee ballot. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? So. Um, he his response to that was that we have to protect uh, uh, the the democratic process and that voter fraud is rampant. And so, once asked to prove cases of voter fraud in Alabama, he really didn't come up with any evidence. This is Representative Jamie Keel 
uh, asked for direct evidence of why we need this bill in Alabama, and he did not cite any specific cases outside of one case that happened in his hometown. He said that voter fraud was proven in his hometown, and that race was won uh, basically by a margin of one vote. And 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 if that one vote had not been fraudulently cast, then the outcome would have been different. And I, I really wanted to jump up and ask him, so is the whole state of Alabama supposed to uh, make a law uh, based off something that happened in your hometown? Because, right. <laughs> because right. this is ridiculous. But 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 it was a very it was a very fragile defense that Representative Kill offered. And honestly, I don't think it can stand under federal scrutiny. Mm. Right. Well, I mean, even the Republican secretary of state, John Merrill, he uh, is all over the right wing radio space in Alabama talking about how secure our elections are. And so the idea that, uh, you know, that that there is this need to uh, further tighten Alabama's uh, election security is really uh, contradicted by <laughs> the Republican Secretary of State, who is very confident in his in his performance as Secretary of State insofar as uh, fraud. Uh, in general, minimal. let's just yeah, let's just be real. In general, he's in very general, confident right. in general about himself. Uh, but yes, he's you're 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 exactly right for bringing that up, Jacob. I I, I was going to go there. You're right about that. Uh, you know, they, it can't all be true, mm -hmm. right? Right. Did you have anything else, Jacob? No, 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 no. Okay. That was, yeah, that was uh, I just wanted to give you all a final chance if you had any final words about this legislation uh, that y'all wanted to share with us. I just wanted to add that, you know, Alabama's absentee voting system is already the most complicated in the country. Like, it just is. And so adding just like another layer of difficulty and confusion and nobody knows exactly how much help is criminalized, like if handing you the application is criminalized, if I show you the link where you can print it yourself, is that criminalized? Like what? Mm. It just is adding so much confusion and fear into a system that's already way more complicated than it has to be. Um, it just doesn't make sense. That's a really great right. point. Absolutely. Mr. Clark, do you have anything to finish this up? Well, I think that was a great summary uh, from Maddie. I, also, uh, this bill affects the uh, uh, fund ability, if you will, uh, of organizations like Greater Birmingham Ministries and Faith in Action Alabama, the League of Women Voters and others who help uh, people to vote. Uh, absentee or otherwise to register to vote. Uh, we now uh, have funders that uh, can't fund certain activities if they are if they are criminalized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's at the heart of what this bill is about, because let's be honest, there, there are not very many uh, uh, voter fraud police waiting to watch somebody hand over an absentee ballot. Right. Right. But what they're but but what it really gets at is the fact that no longer can people uh, receive grant monies or or assistance uh, to go into uh, jails or to go onto college campuses and ensure that the voices of the most marginalized people of, in our society are heard. And I think that is a that is a wickedness at a whole nother level. Oh, I think you just spoke it right there. Um... I think that's exactly what this is about, because let's be honest, these elections aren't even competitive. The Republicans are they won by like 
20 points minimum in mm. almost every election in November 2022 in the state of Alabama. So I don't think, you know, this it's classic Alabama legislature to have an imaginary problem that they've created out of thin air. And they propose solutions to this imaginary problem that are going to create very real consequences for real people in this state. Uh, and it's, it's a total shame. But uh, I really appreciate the work that both of y'all are doing in the community. Uh, I appreciate both of what, you know, what y'all are doing to help people participate in the elections. And thank you so much for your time today to share this with us. Uh, and thanks for fighting against this bad bill. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right, folks. Yeah, well, that, that was a great conversation, really important stuff there. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, you know, uh, uh, up next, we have, uh, you know, the writer's strike is still going on. Um, and, and I think the anticipation is that it's going to be going on for, for some time, right? Uh, that there ha- there's a backlog of scripts that have been written already. Um, and and so the I think the assumption is that production is going to continue with the scripts that are written and that uh, w- there will be... Uh, uh, that you know things are going to continue to move for a while until they run out of scripts. Uh, at which point, then the studios are really going to start feeling the pinch. And also, at which point, uh, if I am recalling correctly, uh, the actors' contracts are expiring in eight weeks, and they are in the middle of contract negotiations right now. So there's some speculation about, um, a- a- as well as the directors. I think the directors and the actors, their contracts expire on the same time. Maybe we can get a uh, a post recording fact check on that. I don't know, but the um, but but I do know that those uh, that those contract uh, negotiations are expiring soon, and there's some talk of of potentially in Hollywood the writers and the directors and the actors all being on strike all at once. Um, so so the anticipation is that this is going to last for a while, but we are now firmly in week two. And, uh, and, and so Adam, what has been, um, you know, and, and you're, uh, Adam is in the stagehands union for folks that don't know. And so in a lot of areas, the stagehands union works very closely with the writers and, and the actors and the directors. Um, and so, you know, what are some of the big updates here in week two of the writer strike and how has IATSE been responding? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of uh, solidarity on display in the picket lines, and you've seen a lot of IOTC members, uh, particularly in New York and, and Hollywood, out there on the picket lines with the, our union kin and the WGA. And, um, you know, I think that's really important. You know, we're expressing our solidarity with uh, the writers, you know, who are our brothers and sisters in the entertainment industry. And I think it's worth noting that. You know, the United States, we talk about how, you know, the U.S. doesn't make as much as we used to, right? We're not the manufacturing powerhouse we used to be. But if there's one thing we make, it's entertainment. Mm. Uh, if there's one global export in which, you know, the United States is, is powerful, it's entertainment. Uh, the entertainment industry is huge in this country, and, and it is a very, very valuable industry. Um so, yeah, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, IATSE, we support the Writers Guild of America, West and East, in their collective fight to win a fair contract from the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP. Uh, and, you know, we support their fight on behalf of the talented workers they represent. You know, these are behind the scenes workers. 
the motion picture and television industry thrives on the creativity, the skill, and the labor and the time of every one of these workers involved. And the writer's contributions are an important part of the, of the success of films and TV shows and all the other media uh, in which a handful profit handsomely. Uh, and, you know, that also provides important jobs for folks like IATSE members. So as an IATSE member, I think a fair contract for WGA members is better, not just for them, but for our members and union members more broadly. Hmm. Uh, the AMPTP is an ensemble of media mega corporations collectively worth trillions of dollars. Standing with the writers in their struggle to win their contract is not only the right thing to do, but it's also an opportunity for IATSE members to build momentum as we look ahead to our own basic and area standards negotiations with the industry in 2024. So that is coming up. And, you know, this make no mistake here. The AMPTP is responsible for this strike. Mm. The last two major film and TV negotiations that the AMPTP engaged in were one, a narrowly avoided IATSE strike, and now two, a writer strike. You know, it's beyond the pale that AMPTP is engaged in this level of resistance at a time when the corporations who control the industry are seeing sky-high profits and executive pay. IATSE members are joining union members across the country uh, on the WGA picket lines and standing in solidarity with our union kin as they fight for the contract they deserve. Uh, and, you know, we spoke last week about this issue and uh, I just wanted to also mention that unlike a lot of labor struggles, this is busting through to the mainstream media. Mm. Uh, I found an article from the Today Show of all places. Oh, wow. uh, they put out an article on May 10th, which actually was not bad uh, from Lauren Lowe. Uh, you know, not a bad not a bad job there. Uh, you never really know when uh, mainstream media starts covering labor struggles, how they're going to do. Uh, but she did a pretty good job sort of laying the context there. And just for some of that context, uh, she wrote, It's been a dramatic week in Hollywood, to say the least. On May 2nd, the Writers Guild of America, WGA, an alliance of two labor unions representing over 11,000 film, television, news, radio, and online writers, went on strike demanding higher pay and a stable pay structure, as well as fair deals and contracts and provisions about artificial intelligence per list of WGA proposals. And we talked uh, last week about more of those proposals uh, in depth. And the Guild, when announcing the strike, called this moment an existential crisis for writers. And it's worth noting that about 98% of their members voted to go on strike. We have reached this moment today not of our own choosing, but because the company's assault on writer income and working conditions have pushed us to an existential brink. WGA Negotiating Committee co-chair Chris Kaiser said on the organization's website. For the past week, writers have been picketing the headquarters of major studios, including Netflix, Amazon, Warner Brothers, Universal Studios, and others. Protesters have been brandishing signs, demanding higher wages, and targeting studio executives with tongue-in-cheek messages like, give up just one yacht, and pay your writers or we'll spoil secession. When the strike entered its second week, production uh, has halted on several major TV shows. Saturday Night Live went dark on May 6th. The late night shows, including The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, also stopped taping live episodes. 
they're airing reruns. So uh, that's a little bit, you know, in, in terms of the context, we talked last week a little bit more about why they're going on strike. Uh, you know, the residuals on streaming is a major issue. Uh, the the new links of gigs is also a major issue. You know, jobs that used to be six to nine month jobs are now, you know, four to six week jobs. And you're having to string together a lot more gigs just to make a living. Uh, and that's just, you know, so we've seen the gig worker vacation. <laughs> I know that's not much of a word, but, you, you know, you, you hear what I'm saying here. The mm -hmm. gig worker has been implemented in industry after industry uh, to the point where we we see the gig worker lifestyle as kind of what's being presented for folks of all sorts of industries and folks of all kind of backgrounds and professions. Uh, and we're seeing it here with the writers. Um, you know, it's, it's long been a trend in teaching, the idea of having teachers become more like gig workers. Uh, it's, you know, something that we're going to have to deal with and AI being a factor as well. And, you know, to the extent that capital controls AI, capital wants lower labor costs. Capital will, re will replace labor with AI when it can and when it's profitable, uh, unless we have some stake in this, unless we have some ownership in the in the proper in the AI property, or and or unless we have strong bargaining power to really withstand this challenge. So there's a lot of issues going on here with this writer strike and. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, just as an IATSE member and as a union activist, I definitely extend my love and solidarity to the writers, wishing them uh, much success on this strike. It's a shame that it took a strike. Uh, but, yeah, definitely sending my support as they fight for the fair contract that they deserve. Absolutely. That's, that's great to hear, and we are going to continue watching that. Uh, something else on our radar is OSHA has a new initiative about um, emphasis on reducing workplace falls, which are uh, surprisingly, and I didn't know this, falls are the leading cause of workplace fatalities. Uh, so I know, was not aware of that either. Yeah. It, it makes sense, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it may seem kind of silly to uh, think about a federal agency uh, trying to, um, you know, launch a nationwide initiative to reduce falls in the workplace, but you know, if it's killing people, that's something that that's something that we ought to look at and and um, and and try to combat. And so, Adam, what are they? Uh, what does the initiative entail? What are they doing? So, yeah, the U.S. Department of Labor announced uh, its OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has begun a national emphasis program to prevent falls which, as Jacob said, is the leading cause of fatal workplace injuries and the violation the agency cites most frequently in construction industry inspections. The emphasis program will focus on reducing fall-related injuries and fatalities for people working at heights in all industries. Uh, and I just, I'm going to pause there to say, as someone who works in an industry where height is involved, yes, it's important. Uh, it can be very dangerous. And uh, so whether you are a, you know, uh, a IATSE rigger up in the uh, balcony somewhere uh, or you're a roofer, you're working in construction, you're an iron worker, whatever the situation may be, when you're working in, around heights, uh, it can be very, very dangerous. And so that's why safety is so important. And that's why our unions fight so hard for safety in the workplace. But back to OSHA, 
The targeted enforcement program is based on historical Bureau of Labor Statistics data and OSHA enforcement history. BLS data shows that of the 5,190 fatal workplace injuries in 2021, 680 were associated with falls from elevations, about 13% of all the deaths. The National Emphasis Program aligns all of OSHA's fall protection resources to combat one of the most preventable and significant causes of workplace fatalities, said Assistant Secretary for OSHA, uh, Doug Parker. We're launching this program in concert with the 10th Annual National Safety Stand Down to prevent falls in construction and the industry's safety week. Working together, OSHA and employers in all industries can make lasting changes to improve worker safety and save lives. The program establishes guidance for locating and inspecting fall hazards and allows OSHA compliance safety and health officers to open inspections whenever they observe someone working at heights. An outreach component of the program will focus on educating employers about effective ways to keep their workers safe. If a compliance officer determines an inspection is not necessary after entering a work site and observing work activities, they will provide outreach on fall protection and leave the site. So, uh, definitely want to see more emphasis on worker safety and safety in the workplace. Uh, we talked at length about that on workers, uh, in honor of Workers Memorial Day recently, uh, about the deaths and injuries and illnesses on the job. Still, way too many people are hurt at the job. Too many people die on the job. Uh, so, you know, anytime I see OSHA trying to step it up, uh, mm -hmm. that's that's always a sign, a, a positive sign. Uh, you know, we need much more OSHA inspection. We need much more compliance uh, from employers. That's for sure. Absolutely. And with that, folks, we're going to go ahead and go into our second break. We will be right back, and Adam is going to wrap up the show uh, with a message about the culture of education in the state of Alabama. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss that. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. 
That's www.uawregion, the number eight, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and my co-host is Jacob Morrison. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. Phone number is 844-899-TBLR. Don't forget, this is a pre-taped episode today, Saturday, May 13th. So uh, you can't join us live on the air, but you are welcome to leave us a voicemail. We can play it next week. You can send us a text, and we can check that and talk about it next week. Uh, always love the participation. Uh, appreciate that very much. And for those of you who don't know, we air live on WVNN, which is the right-wing talk radio station in Huntsville, Athens. Uh, every Saturday from 9.30 to 11 with our overtime after 11 o'clock airing online on YouTube and Facebook. We got our start on WVNN, birthplace of Sean Hannity and home to all sorts of reactionary propaganda that we find objectionable. But we think it's important to get a different perspective out there to multiple audiences. We're happy that a portion of the show is replayed during the week on WZZA, the historic black radio station in Northwest Alabama, and on WHIV, a community radio station in New Orleans. We released the full episode on Spotify, Apple, and the various podcasting apps. So please subscribe to us on your app of choice and give us a good review. And throughout the week, clips of the show are released as standalone videos on YouTube and even in some cases, TikTok. So if there's a specific segment or interview you want to find, we try to make it easy for you. Uh, we have our, you know, an extensive back catalog at this point with some really fantastic interviews that you may have missed, especially if you've just started listening, you know, in the past few months or, or maybe, you know, this is your first episode. Uh, we have an extensive back catalog and I am working on improving that back catalog in terms of the YouTube playlist. Uh, so that is a work in progress, but, you know, we do have a couple playlists out there, specifically the Unions 101. Uh, I really recommend you check that out if you are new to labor unions and you're trying to learn more. Some great segments there and great interviews there. Uh, but also we've got some labor history. We've got public education conversations. We've got bosses behaving badly segments. Uh, and, and so we'll be working on improving that YouTube playlist back catalog. Uh, but just do us a favor, hit subscribe, hit like, you know, we're trying to make it easy for you. We appreciate all of the support on social media and the various platforms, you know, that engagement that you can offer really does go a long way. It's a free, easy way to help us if you like and subscribe because all of our content is free. So special thanks to all of you who donate, all of you who comment and uh, call in, all of you who have liked us, shared us, reviewed us. You know, it really does help, and, and like I said, that's a great way to support the program. If you believe it's important to have our own media of, by, and for the Southern working class, please consider supporting us however you can, and please share with your coworkers, friends, family, and neighbors. We know there's a lot of good causes to support, and our audience are, you know, working folks with limited incomes. So if you do find value in our project and you're willing to chip in a couple bucks, it really would mean a lot. 
We've got some great stuff planned as we grow the project, and we can't do it without you. So let's talk a little bit about education. Uh, there's a lot going on in education when it comes to Alabama specifically, uh, but public education is under attack across the country. Uh, it has been for quite some time, uh, but some of these attacks have really ramped up in, in the last couple years. Uh, you know, the pandemic really set off a fresh wave of attacks, and, and we've seen it continue since with culture war, uh, push, pushes of the culture war, pushes of uh, vouchers and privatization schemes. We've seen politicians like Ron DeSantis really trying to make a name for themselves by bashing teachers and by bashing public schools and by attacking public education in general. So a lot happening here as well. Uh, you know, Wednesday, May 10th, was the Education Policy Committee hearing on the Price Act as well as uh, the Charter School Bill. So the Price Act is the Education Savings Account Bill, uh, which is a you know another name for a voucher program. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, school choice, quote unquote, conversation happening Wednesday in the legislature, and we'll be talking more about that next week. But in the meantime, I wanted to uh, to highlight an article I found. So NEA Today is the magazine of the National Education Association, which, of course, is the country's largest teachers' union. And, of course, that comes with the asterisk that uh, many of NEA's state affiliates, including in Alabama, actually reject the idea of unionism and prefer to operate as and be labeled as quote-unquote professional associations or professional organizations. You know, nonetheless, Jacob and I saw this article from, you know, a month or two ago that was uh, quite helpful, I felt. And it's called The Culture Wars Impact on Public Schools. Political attacks that target inclusive curricula and divide communities are undermining public education and its role in educating for our democracy. A new national survey details the impact of pervasive and growing political conflicts on schools. Almost half of schools reported challenges to teaching about issues of race and racism and policies and practices related to LGBTQ student rights. One-third reported attempts to limit student access to books in the school library and social and emotional learning. The conflicts often result, result from intentional and organized efforts that have targeted purple or more politically diverse communities. Manufactured outrages designed to divide educators and parents for political gain didn't really work in 2022, a recent NEA survey found. Instead, midterm voters were focused on school safety, the educator shortage, book bans, and other challenges. Unfortunately, as the 2024 campaign season begins to take shape, the culture war on public schools doesn't show many signs of abating. The stakes couldn't be higher, says John Rogers, professor at the Graduate School of Education and Information Studies at UCLA and director of UCLA's Institute for Democracy, Education, and Access. Rogers believes we are at an existential moment for public education and a diverse democracy. Since 2017, Rogers and his colleagues have been tracking how the increasingly divisive and polarizing political climate has sown discord in communities, targeted inclusive curricula, and aimed to undermine overall confidence in public education. The, their latest report, Educating for a Diverse Democracy, The Chilling Role of Political Conflict in Blue, Purple, and Red Communities, 
finds that in the midst of political conflicts, students have limited opportunities to engage in learning and respectful dialogue on controversial topics, and it's become harder to address rampant misinformation. The highly charged environment has also led to marked declines in support for teaching about race, racism, and racial and ethnic diversity. Meanwhile, harassment of LGBTQ youth has increased. In his research, Rogers surveyed public school principals and found almost half, 45% of principals, said the amount of community-level conflict centered largely around opposition to inclusive curricula during the 2021-22 school year was more or much more than prior to the pandemic. Only 3% said it was less. Rogers recently spoke with NEA Today about how, how polarization and coordinated attacks are preventing many educators from teaching controversial is issues or about our nation's full history. Quote, These attacks are undermining the role public schools play in educating for our democracy, according to Rogers. So check out the full article for the interview with Professor Rogers. I highly recommend that. You know, what's clear to me is that the privatization of public education is inextricably linked to reactionary and segregationist ideology. There's a reason the push for more vouchers, more charters, more attacks on teachers almost always coincide with the so-called culture war fights over issues of curriculum and diversity. They are two sides to the same coin. Whether it comes from the far-right folks like Betsy DeVos or the neoliberals like Bill Gates, ultimately these agendas are intertwined. It is the sabotage of public schools, institutions which are critical to the working class communities that they serve. So I want to recommend folks check out our conversation from a few months back with Dr. Lois Weiner, uh, where we talked about this very issue in the, the multi-front war on public education and the ways in which public education's attacks from the culture war perspective really is tied to broader efforts of privatization. Um, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of the same fight. And by and large, it's coming from the same people. It's coming from the same funding sources. It's coming from the same elite class of billionaires who have funded an astroturfed uh, effort to attack public schools. Uh, and you can find these people in Montgomery. You can find them in state capitals all over the country. Uh, you can even find them, in some cases, at school board meetings. And we're seeing more and more astroturfed organizations uh, in the school board level. We had right-wing crazies running for school board in Huntsville back in August. There are groups like Moms for Liberty that are out there uh, causing all kinds of problems. Uh, and, you know, just a couple weeks ago, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, fired the head of the pre-K department, Dr. Barbara Cooper, who was a respected educator. She was fired for being too woke, quote-unquote woke, literally. Just, just really wild stuff, wild stuff. Uh, and it, like I said, it's no coincidence that, you know, this uh, rhetoric around wokeness which, oh my God, doesn't that just annoy you just to hear people even use that term like that these days. It is it's just the right wing uh, really has just uh, run that into the ground and almost anything they don't like is now called woke. 
uh, even basic levels of diversity and appreciation of diversity is now considered too woke by many Republicans. Um, and so they're doing this right at the same time they're pushing for money for private schools, money for religious schools. Uh, they want public school funding to supposedly follow the child and follow the family. Of course, nowhere else do we have that philosophy when it comes to government funding, right? You pay taxes on roads. You don't get to have, you know, a, a road allotment. You don't, you don't have to, I mean, you pay taxes for levels of public services, right? Um, and I don't get to pick and choose whether or not I want to pay taxes to the firefighters or to the police officers, Right. Police officers often do things I find highly objectionable, like kill people. Doesn't change the fact that my tax dollars go there. I don't get a home security voucher. Right. Just because I'm displeased with those services. No one's going to give me seven thousand dollars to install my own home security system to protect myself uh, if I'm not happy with the performance of the police force. It's just not going to happen that way. All right. We don't think about government funding in any other arena in the way that these people are pushing it for vouchers, that the funding, the tax dollars should follow the child. And, of course, this is a way to weaken public schools. It is a sabotage because the more they get their way, the more they siphon funds from public education, the weaker the public schools are, the bigger the class sizes are, the higher the teacher turnover is. The higher the shorting staffage among uh, the staffage shorting uh, shortage among uh, support staff, right? The educate special education aides, the cafeteria workers, the custodians, all the people who support the school system actually functioning day to day. You know, they they push this privatization to put more public dollars into private hands, and the more they do that, the weaker our public schools become. And, of course, the weaker they become, the more the demand increases for such alternatives like vouchers and charters. It's a vicious cycle, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens in Alabama. Uh, but, unfortunately, there has not been a broad movement to fight back against this stuff. Not that I'm seeing. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and we do plan to talk more about that next week. And I hope to pull some clips from the committee hearings uh, so you can hear for yourself uh, some of the garbage that's being discussed down in Montgomery. And uh, on the subject of garbage being proposed in Montgomery, that leads me to our next segment about the so-called divisive concepts bill, which is being rammed through the Alabama legislature. Uh, Rebecca Griesbach put out a great article back in April which explored the legislation, its background, and the initial reactions. And um, really highly recommend this article by Rebecca Griesbach. Um, it's good stuff. Uh, she talks about uh, the background and kind of where this comes from. Uh, she talked about some of the debates happening in the legislature. For example, Representative Prince Chestnut, who is a Democrat from Selma, he said, quote, this is a slap in the face to every decent, hardworking black Alabamian that's in this room, that's out of this room, and to the children and the unborn. 
It's divisive that not a single white person on this committee is going to vote against this bill. That's divisive. So this bill proposed by Representative Oliver, Ed Oliver of Dadeville, prohibits public schools, colleges, and other state agencies from promoting certain quote-unquote divisive topics. And uh, just I encourage you to read the bill for yourself. It's, it's not terribly long. It's just a few pages. Uh, I find it just ridiculously stupid. Uh, you know, some of it's pretty straightforward. You know, you're not allowed to teach that a certain race is superior to another race. Okay, duh. That's that's true. We should not do that. Uh, but then it goes on to to broaden the scope to essentially ban almost anything that might remotely imply that there is such a thing as implicit bias, that people uh, have bias. Um, there's ways in which this could possibly threaten the authentic teaching of history because it's one of those bills where it really depends on the interpretation. Uh, and of course, it's responding to a whole lot of nothing. Um, there is no you know, crisis in our classrooms about divisive concepts that are being taught and, and dividing our students. Um, you know, I'm sure they can find some anecdotes of a, a few teachers who maybe used a poor choice of words or, you know, I'll even grant you, you can find some examples of, of probably some pretty weird stuff out there. I used to represent public school employees, about 1,500 of them. Uh, they were not all perfect angels. Sometimes they made mistakes. That's, that's life. Um, but yeah, this, this bill is just... It's ridiculous, uh, and, and I agree with uh, Representative Chestnut. It's a slap in the face to everybody, frankly, uh, because it's, a, it's an assault on intellectual freedom. It's an assault on educators uh, with an implication that you know they would do harm to their children. Uh, it's just, you know, it's garbage made up. It's made up garbage from right-wing media uh, that is teaching people that there is so-called critical race theory that's happening all over and uh, it's threatening white people. It's threatening, you know, white people might be made to feel guilty by teachers and it's just absurd. It really is absurd and it's an attack on diversity. Uh, it's an attack on history and really it's an attack on, on just basic decency. Uh, because we should be able to have authentic conversations with young people about life and about that includes race. That includes the way race plays a role in our country, the way race plays a role in our history. Um, and that's just that's just reality, right? I, I shouldn't risk trouble with the law by acknowledging the truth. It just shouldn't happen. Uh, so definitely stay tuned to this Divisive Concepts Bill. And like I said, I really recommend checking out Rebecca Griesbach's article. Uh, and if you get a chance, just check out the, the bill itself. And just for the record, uh, James Lomax, uh, South Huntsville's representative, the new young representative in South Huntsville, he is one of the co-sponsors of this bill. Uh, so I'm not sure if he thinks Grissom High School is teaching divisive concepts or if he was exposed to such divisive concepts as a, as a student. I can tell you, as a, as a 
former Alabama educator and as a Alabama public school student, I certainly encountered much more conservative and right-wing politics among educators uh, than I did the alternative, right? I was much more likely to hear fundamentalist Christianity or conservative Republican politics coming from people uh, in education than I was like left-wing politics or anything remotely resembling critical race theory. That's just, that was my experience, you know? Maybe other people have different experiences, uh, but I just, you know, again, Alabama legislature loves to have imaginary problems and come up with so-called solutions to those problems that cause real issues for real people in this state. So as we wrap up, I want to remind folks that we also air on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which is a Huntsville-based internet radio station. 1970s FM underground radio style, eclectic local, regional music, experimental sounds, noisy and otherwise, Huntsville, Alabama arts, culture, politics, audio theater, comedy. You can listen on Live 365, search Unclaimed Mysteries Radio. And as we're wrapping up here on the radio, we do have a few reminders and some events to share. Uh, Jacob has an article uh, with In These Times called An Explosion, Layoffs, and the End of Paper in J. Uh, check out uh, some of the articles that uh, we've got on our website, tvlr.fm. I wrote a series on Alabama political engagement, including some discussion of the Alabama Democratic Party, uh, which is generating some conversation. As they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings. I uh, highly recommend you check those out. Go to labornotes.org. The Alabama International Fringe Festival is a three-day event taking place on May 12th, 13th, and 14th in the River Region of Alabama, centered in Montgomery. That includes a performance of Toll Puddle the Musical, which is a musical about union struggles in 1800s England. Check out our interview with the director and one of the lead actors that we did last week. I uh, also wanted to mention that this Sunday on May 14th, there's a protest happening in Huntsville at Big Spring Park at 3 p.m. against the so-called Don't Say Gay bill and the drag ban bills. So uh, the LGBTQ community is calling for allies to attend this demonstration at the Big Spring Park at 3 p.m. Don't forget our new weekly series called Shop Talk, airing online Thursday mornings. Shop Talk is dedicated to labor education, history, and training. Check out the live stream Thursday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Time or the podcast a few days later. And again, if you're not on our email list at tvlr.fm, definitely sign up for that so you can stay up to date on our work. And our work is to highlight the labor movement in the Tennessee Valley and across the South. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. You can buy a hat or a shirt or just donate at tvlr.fm. Definitely check out those new shirts. We just got the shipment in. Uh, we've got uh, about 20 or so for sale, so it is a limited edition. Get your hands on one of those. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the Valley Labor Report. We're going to be heading into overtime where we're going to talk all sorts of labor stories, including a discussion about right to work. So thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate your time. All power to the workers. <laughs>